Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And this is week two of our six-week series in the book of Exodus. We're joined today by our friend, Margaret Feinberg. Margaret is new to the podcast, but you probably know her from her Bible studies. She's an author, a speaker. She has a recent Bible study on the book of Revelation called Extravagant Hope, and a book that we'll talk just a little bit about called Taste and See, Discovering God among butchers, bakers, and fresh food makers. And she's just a delight to talk about God's Word with. She loves Scripture and has so many fun facts. We learned so much from Margaret today, and we can't wait for you to hear this conversation. So let's get right to it. Margaret Feinberg, welcome to the Sherry's Truth Podcast. Thank you. It is such a delight and joy to be with you. Well, you all know we are in week two of a six-week series in the book of Exodus. Mm -hmm. Last week, Jen Wilkin was with us, sort of set up the story, and then got into the thick of it. So we talked about Israel's oppression in Egypt, the birth and call of Moses, and we got into the first several plagues, but dropped us off. Margaret, we like ended last week (laughs) just right in the thick of the plagues, and like Pharaoh's heart is still hard. Mm-hmm. And everyone is like, "What? What is happening here?" And so here's where we invite you in. You're come like, read talk, with us. Come talk with us. I Margaret. love it. Thanks for bringing me in in a little bit of a dark moment. I mean, yeah, thanks sure. for the timing. Uh-huh. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. So here we are in Exodus chapter nine. Now, if you missed last week, it was a really good conversation. It was so good. It got me really excited about reading this book. And I was already sure. excited about no, reading No, I love book. the book of Exodus. Right. I came in going like, I love the book of Exodus. I cannot wait mm-hmm. to read it. But then Jen kind of gave us this like birth tableau, not just like in the first couple chapters, but like the book of Exodus is a birthing story of the nation of Israel. And you're just going like, oh, I can't unsee that now. Like uh-huh. that is so beautiful. And yes. It's really cool. I love learning big new things mm-hmm. in scripture. Like I hope I never stop. Yes. Well, Margaret, we are starting in the plagues, but spoiler <laughs> alert, we're going to get to talk. It's bread week. Yes. It's bread week here on the Shears Truth Podcast. It's like the British Bake Off, but different. But different um, in a couple of ways. And so I can't wait. Like I, We're going to pace ourselves, and we're going to talk about the plagues mm-hmm. like the good Bible readers that we are. But I can't wait because you're a gal who knows her bread and food and scripture. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Took a little yeah. taste and see journey and ate up all the yummy food in the Bible. So excited for this. I mean, that is so cool. Okay. We're going to get that. there. We're going to get there. But first, we're going to start with hail. Yeah. As in hail that falls from the sky. It's going to mm-hmm. be great. Mm-hmm. So we're here in Exodus chapter 9. The Lord is displaying His... Mm-hmm. Who he is. Yeah. It's this power struggle between Pharaoh and God and... Except... Not so much a struggle. It's only a struggle for It's Pharaoh. only a struggle on one side. But at the same time, and we're going to read about this, that like it's also a struggle for everybody involved. Like, mm-hmm. and, and we're going to read where people are going like, hey, Pharaoh, like, let up. Just like let it go already. Egypt is being destroyed because of your pride and your hard heart. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but like not just Israel saying that, but like his officials are telling mm-hmm. him to let up already. Let's read some of it. They're going to get there. Yeah, they will get there. The other thing that I'll say is that like I think – when we talk about the plagues, when we talk about the 10 plagues, and like jump in here at Margaret if you have things to say, because I bet you do. But like one thing that we know about the 10 plagues is like it's a lot of nature. Mm-hmm. It's God using nature in and a supernatural in a way. In a supernatural yeah. way. Like I think where like a critic of the Bible might say, well, that's, those are things that may, maybe would have naturally occurred, like the locusts or the flies or the hail or the frogs. Or like frogs. Frogs were common. Right. But so much of the record is going like, like never happened in Egypt before. Yeah. Like what we know is like the timing of it, that the severity, mm-hmm. the location, and the means of relief, like those are all things that like couldn't have just mm-hmm. happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you have big picture thoughts on the plagues, Margaret? You know, I think there's so much. One of the things I love about the Bible is it's so rich, and there's so many different layers and ways to look at it. And so mm-hmm. clearly right. in these kind of like ways that all the plagues are unfolding, one way to look at it is they are in defiance of the 
gods that the Egyptians serve very clearly. But I think it's also important to recognize another theme that runs not just here, but throughout the Bible. And that is the theme of, if you actually look at creation and you look at the plagues, the plagues are the undoing of the creation story. Okay. And yeah, I know. And and so it's not- It's not in the same order, and I think that's really important to know. But if you sure. start to look, some of the wording and some of the references are like an untying of what God has done. So God in the beginning establishes himself as creator, all-powerful, all-sovereign, all-in-control, all who can create of nothing, all these characteristics of who he is. And he says in Exodus 7, you know, I'm doing this basically, the Egyptians shall know that I am God. So we know yeah. why, right, God is doing yeah. this. But when you start to go on the plagues, the first one is the water turns to blood. And in Genesis, you know, 1.10, we see that, you know, God called the dry land the earth and he gathered the waters. Mm-hmm. And so he's once again God in charge of that. And then, you know, kind of plague two, three, and four that you guys have already looked at, the frogs and the lice and the flies in chapter eight. Well, frogs live where? Near water. Mm-hmm. Lice is on the earth and flies are in the air. And oh, so in Genesis ah. 1.20, when God says, you know, may the waters swarm with living creatures. And in one twenty eight, God says, you know, you'll rule over the fish of the sea and the winged creatures of heaven and all living creatures that creep. All of a sudden, we're seeing this undone where they have no control of any of these things because mm. God has had control of all. And even in plague five with the pestilence, you know, in the field animals, we go back to Genesis where God created the creatures. And so what we'll see, and I think as we continue to move through, even in the boils, you know, God is setting up himself in the priestly order. You know, the problem, and I think probably generally dive into this, is Pharaoh thought he was God. He made his officers Mm -hmm. priests. And God's like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, no, no, I'm the one who provides all life, all health. I am the ultimate God. And so you're seeing this undoing. And what's cool as we move through this is we'll also see where when Christ comes, that he restores the creation. He comes in and he says, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the true vine. I am the the way, the truth, the life. And so you're seeing this constantly theme being played all the way to the book of Revelation, Mm -hmm. where where everything falls apart throughout creation in the book of Revelation, and then in the end, it all comes back together in the new heaven and the new earth. Mm-hmm. And so the themes that are happening here point to such a bigger story, I think, of what God is doing. I love that, Margaret. And it's just like God's like asserting, like, lest you think for a minute mm-hmm. that you're in charge here. I am in charge of every square inch of this mm-hmm. earth, and I will show you how. Because one of the many things that we see in Pharaoh is what it looks like, like you said, Margaret, what it looks like when someone takes the authority that God gives to humanity and perverts it to make themselves like God, which we all do at some in some Mm -hmm, level, right? mm -hmm. Like that's what sin is. But this is so it's so interesting. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I'm glad you asked that question, Rachel. Oh, listen, it's all about Margaret here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you shared that. Well, so then in that way, hail. I mean, there's the part of creation where it talks about. The waters that come from the sky. The waters and being the, separated. Yeah. 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 So we're starting here in Exodus 9, verse 13. Who wants to read? Let's read some of it. Yeah. Rachel, you want to read with us? Yes. For us? All right. From chapter 9, starting in verse 13, let's just read that seventh plague about hail. It says, Then the Lord God said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh. Tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. For this time, I'm about to send all my plagues against you, your officials, and your people. Then you will know that there is no one like me on the whole earth. This is like what you said, Margaret. Like, what Uh is the purpose here? It's so that they will know that he is God. In verse 15, by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague, and you would have been obliterated from the earth. However, I have let you live for this purpose, to show you my power and to make my name known on the whole earth. Yeah, that's like what Jen said last week. Like, we didn't need the plagues. Right. For, like, he doesn't need them to mm-hmm. rescue his people. He could have just taken them out of there. Just to make his name known. Right. Yeah. Verse 17, you're still acting arrogantly against my people by not letting them go. Tomorrow at this time, I will rain down the worst hail that has ever occurred in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. 
Therefore, give orders to bring your livestock and all that you have in your field into shelters. Every person and animal that is in the field and not brought inside will die when the hail falls on them. Those among Pharaoh's officials who feared the word, I love this, those among Pharaoh's officials who feared the word of the Lord made their servants and livestock flee to shelters, but those who didn't take to heart the Lord's word left their servants and livestock in the field. Mm-hmm. I love the protection of God uh-huh. in there, like his protective hand. Like I think yeah. sometimes we start to believe the lie that like we're always, you know, we're just in peril. There's no escape. And yet, just like temptation, God always provides a way of escape. Like he is faithful. He is good. He is for us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he gives us command. And sometimes they don't make a whole lot of sense. Like they'd never seen this huge hail before. And yet by obeying and walking, even when they didn't know quite how it was going to play out, you know, they are protected and their livestock is protected. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it almost seems like, like this is where, because I don't recall, now correct me if I'm wrong, gals, because there are a lot of plagues and maybe I'm just misremembering, (laughs) but I feel like, is this the first time where Pharaoh actually comes to Moses and Aaron and says, I have sinned this time? Like, I don't remember, did we read that before? I may be wrong, but listen to in verse 27, so after this has happened, and it goes as the Lord says it would, right? Pharaoh sends for Moses and Aaron. I have sinned this time, he said to them. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the guilty ones. Make an appeal to the Lord. There's been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. And then Moses says, okay, like I'll go make that plea. But he says, but as for you and your officials, I know that you still do not fear the Lord. Mm -hmm. Like I hear what you're saying, and I will do that. You're playing you, you, you do not fear the Lord, yeah. right? But it feels like it's one of the first times, at least if I'm remembering last week correctly, where he at least pretends to be <laughs> yeah. a little bit put in his place, right? But he's not, and then we get locusts. Can we pause there just for a moment? Because I think there's something significant here. You know, I did a lot of research for a book and Bible study looking at food in the Bible, and I think sometimes we skim back pie, the mentions of food. And I know uh, I'm reading from the NASB, but it says, Mm -hmm. you know, in verse 31, now the flax and the barley were ruined for the barley was in the ear and flax was in bud, but the wheat and the spelt were not ruined for they ripened late. So Moses went out from the city of Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord and the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain no longer poured out. And I think we we skim by that, not realizing like Uh how profoundly devastating this was Mm. for the people. We have to remember that in the ancient world, the main diet of people was bread, bread, and more bread. It was only the elite and the wealthy who had access to meat and to the livestock, et cetera. Like Pharaoh was not feeding the Israelites the good stuff. They were primarily, you know, surviving on bread. And then they were enjoying the really good bread. So they were enjoying the wheat and the vast majority of the population, primarily the Israel slaves, were eating the barley and the spelt. So they lose half of their grain overnight. This is Mm. utter impoverishment. This is Egyptians freaking out, going to the grocery store, all the shelves are cleared, all Mm -hmm. the distribution of food in the world is shut down. This is absolute terror to them. And so I think it's just highlighting, like, this is not just like, oh, cool, cool, they lost some food and some grain. No, no, no. They are Mm -hmm. like, there's nowhere to go. There's no Costco. They're little orders. raised bed gardens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're they're like wiped out. Like you're not going to Target. You're like there's everything is shut down. And in that world, there's no backup. There's no like, well, right. we'll just yeah. And Order so this some. is really yeah. terrorizing for the people. I'm so glad you pointed that out because it makes me remember, like when you stop and slow down and read That's right. just a little thing like that, you also go, well, isn't that the reason that Israel's in Egypt to begin with? Because there was a famine of bread, right? I mean, like the significance there. Yeah. And they traded their land for bread. And I Mm -hmm. I know they were put in a position to do that, but that was also the portal that was used that led them to slavery, which also I think raises the question, like, what are we trading for our appetites? Oh, Oh, Margaret. (laughs) (laughs) And we just quietly look at each other. But here's the other thing. And like, tell me if I'm like overreading into this now. Margaret, is it possible that God spared the wheat for the Passover? It is. It is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. And that there was some grain. He didn't take because it all. Because we I needed to be Rachel. able to make the Passover bread. So good. Oh, so intentional. That. <laughs> it even took me a minute as you were saying it. It even took a minute for that to slow in. Like, because then I'm thinking timeline. Like, 
well, would they have had it? And because it's Because we so, don't really know the timeline of the plagues. That's right. Because it's so easy to think like... One day one, day two, day yeah. three. Yeah. We talked about last week, Margaret, about <laughs> the timing of the book of Exodus. It's very like... You cover like hundreds of years in a chapter, and then it's like, slow down. <laughs> and so it's hard to know like how mm-hmm. much time is passing. And like there certainly had to be time that passes mm-hmm. because there were effects of these plagues. Mm-hmm. Well, Pharaoh... You're now officially invited to slow us down at any point, Margaret. Oh, always. <laughs> it's <laughs> you, my You were beforehand. It's my favorite so, one. What some... a good... I loved slowing down on that. Mm-hmm. That was great. Mm-hmm. So with the locusts that Pharaoh's officials yes. kind of come to him and are like, Dude. What, are, what are you doing? And he even says in verse 7, Pharaoh's officials asked him, how long must this man be a snare to us? Let the men go so that they may worship the Lord their God. Don't you realize yet that Egypt is devastated? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh Go, worship the Lord your God, Pharaoh said. Mm-hmm. But exactly who will be going? I mean, he mm-hmm. just can't do it. Mm-hmm. He, just won't, he just won't do it. And so they say, everyone, essentially, and you know, all of the people, young, old, all of our flocks, all of our herds. And Pharaoh said to them, the Lord would have to, this is so loaded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pharaoh said to them, the Lord would have to be with you if I would ever let you and your families go. Look out, you're headed for trouble. Mm-hmm. No, go, just the able-bodied men. Worship the Lord since that's what you want. Mm-hmm. And they were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. So he's, again, not letting them. But he was like, the God himself would have to take you mm-hmm. if I'm going to let you go, which is exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm a little prophet there. Yeah. <laughs> the, I mean, but the thing that we're seeing here is... Ultimately, we're seeing like the collateral damage of our disobedience. Yes, like, 100%. Like yep. Pharaoh's disobedience is harming his entire nation, That's not right. just Israel, but and his continued disobedience is going to have so many consequences all the way into his own household. Uh-huh. This is not like big angry God coming and like just causing destruction. This is this is collateral damage of disobedience. Mm-hmm. It is. Can I slow us down for one moment real quick? You may. So Exodus 10, it says, describes what happened when the locusts come. It says, uh, and I'm in ASB, and the locusts came up over all of the land of Egypt and settled in all the territory of Egypt. They were very numerous. They had never been so many locusts, nor would there be so many again. Man, we see that all the time through the Bible. This happens, but it'll never be like this again. And verse 15, for they covered the surface of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Thus nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Once again, Utter Everything. economic, socioeconomic devastation. I mean, this is this is the wipeout. And so he preserved some, as you so well pointed out, Rachel, but now it's all gone. And so again, we're coming back to that kind of creation story. You know, we've got the hail and the locusts. And what did God do in creation? He brought forth the vegetation. Here it is literally all being destroyed until nothing is left. And I think, man, if that doesn't tie in to that disobedience and that hard-heartedness that you guys are talking about, that when we do that, that God's created order of the fruitful life of the productivity, Mm -hmm. of the order, of the flourishing that should be happened, we're actually undermining that. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a a slight possible takeaway from a 30,000-foot view of what's happening here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And And then it says, like the verse following, that says, Pharaoh urgently Mm -hmm. (laughs) set for Mm -hmm. Moses and Aaron. Guys, guys. And it seems, I just, you know, at first read... If I were reading this for the first time, and even reading it, you know, not for the first time, I want to hear some measure of earnestness in this, right? That I have, and there is some earnestness in that he wants this to stop, yeah, but he's not willing to acknowledge that the Lord is God. So he says, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Please forgive my sin once more and make an appeal to the Lord your God so that he will just take this death away from me. So you can hear it like he's, you know, he's feeling he that the hard urgency. Part to be over. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. But 
And they do. Like the Lord, the wind blows the other direction and all the locusts go into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the territory of Egypt. I mean, that blows my mind. And it's prophetic of what is about to happen to Pharaoh and the armies. They too will fly into the Red Sea and none will be left. Margaret Feinberg, ladies and gentlemen. My mouth, for those of you who can't see me, which is all but two of you, <laughs> I like my jaw just dropped. I had not thought about that. Yeah. Because I it did strike me that like what an interesting detail that the locusts blew into the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. And but yes. Ugh. Good job. Good job. Way to read the Bible, Margaret. Um <laughs> and it, but again, verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and mm-hmm. he did not let the Israelites go. That's right. And the ninth plague is darkness. And you might think, oh, well, that's like the easiest plague. That happens every night. No, no. But different. we haven't, as 21st century humans, we don't know what darkness is. Like like this kind of darkness where like there's no light pollution. Like it was, like what does scripture say here? It says, I want to read it. It says in in chapter 10, verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven and there will be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was a thick darkness throughout the land of Egypt for three days. That three seems significant maybe. Mm. Ah. (laughs) One person could not see another and for three days they did not move from where they were. Yet all the Israelites had light where they lived. That's an interesting detail. That like being arrested by the darkness and being afraid to even move or How unable to even move. there a dividing line between the light and the dark? Right. These questions and more. <laughs> Except tracing back to Genesis, because clearly I'm the creation nerd. What did God do in Genesis? He separated the light the from, light from the, the darkness. And he can still do it. And he did it then. The darkest three days in history until later. Mm-hmm. And again, Pharaoh is like, fine. Go. Right. Take your families can go, not just the able-bodied men. You can take your families, but you still do have to leave the livestock. And Moses is like, nope, that's not the deal, right? Like that's No not, deal. No deal. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. the Lord hardened his heart, unwilling to I think it's almost comical go. at this point. Like I do yeah. feel like there's some play. There's some play in the Hebrew. There's some play in the reality of mm. the ridiculousness. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's almost become like the court jester. Like mm-hmm. I picture his heart like putty in the hands of God. And he's mm. just like mold, mold, shape, shape. And then he mm. just kind of, I mean, I mean, God's got to be laughing like at how, and all of heaven, at how ridiculous mm-hmm. Pharaoh is being. And so there is a point when it, it almost crosses the line into absurd and silly, but also right. just exhibiting how mighty and powerful our God is. Yeah, like how could you be so confused as to who's in charge here Mm -hmm. after all of this? Mm -hmm. Because when it says nobody moved from where they were for three days, I'm going to assume that was probably also Pharaoh Yeah, and his people. You know, like this is getting to him, Mm -hmm. but his pride is so great that he is not, he's not relenting his kingship, right? He's just white knuckling Mm -hmm. power. False power. Like, yes. Oh, yes. man. I mean, the application's there. Where do we do that? Mm-hmm. Anyway. And then, so that brings us to our last the 10th plague. The 10th plague, which is a really sobering thing. Mm-hmm. But it is, let's talk about it. The 10th plague is in the CSB, it says the death of the firstborn. What does your heading in the NASB say? The Margaret? last plague. Okay. okay. I just was curious. Let's read. Margaret, do you want to read it for us? Sure. Where would you like me to start then? I mean, I would just read chapter 11. Is 10 verses? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. Once again, establishing he is almighty mm-hmm. and in control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, he also includes this. When he lets you go, he yeah. will surely drive you out from here completely. Like yeah. zero left, zero stakes, zero anything. Verse two, speak now in the hearing of the people that each man ask from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. I mean, I love that so much. You're talking about like an only God moment. Like, right. oh, by the way, on your way out, your bags are going to get stuffed with the gold and the silver and all the wealth of the land. What? All these people that you served and like watched them with all their wealth, mm-hmm. that's actually going to be yours. 
Verse mm. 3, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. <laughs> and Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight, I am going out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstones, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, such as there has not been before, and such as shall not be again. Again, we're seeing that same echo throughout mm-hmm. the text. Mm-hmm. Verse 7, But and against any of the sons of Israel, a dog shall not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Can we pause there for a second? Okay, so mm-hmm. much going on. So number yes. one, Dogs in ancient Israel would have been considered unclean. Like they, they just yeah. would have. They're not our cute fuzzy pets that we all love. Like I have my little four-pound Zoom mm-hmm. and like all our snuggle bunnies. Like they were considered unclean. But what I love about this is, okay, so God is doing all this power, all this miracle. And yet he makes this one detail that not even a dog shall bark. And I think that when all of this was done, when they think about all of the miracles of God, like we focus on all the big ones. Mm-hmm. I think that there were some Israelites who were like, but guys, do you remember the night that not even the dogs barked? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. we skip by that, but like, that would be something uh-huh. that normal humans would be like, but if you weren't convinced, that was the gleaming right. detail of God. If you had been there. <laughs> because yeah. I only have one dog and yeah. not a night goes by <laughs> where he does not bark. <laughs> and that's just one dog. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 8, and all these servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Go out, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. He was smoking. Mm -hmm. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, repeat it again, Mm -hmm. and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. I love how fired up Moses gets, Mm -hmm. because this is Moses who was like, please don't send me. I won't know what to say. My tongue is sluggish. That's what it says Mm -hmm. in the CSB. My tongue is sluggish. And now he's, you know, he's lived a little life since then, but he's also seen how the Lord does what he says he's going to do and how the Lord is the one who provides his strength, and the Lord is the one leading the people, right? It's not, don't send me to lead the people out. It's he can send you because he's the one who's going to do it, right? Right, right? And now, like, he goes out of Pharaoh's presence, the most powerful man in the land. He goes out of that man's presence fiercely angry. Mm-hmm. Hey friends, I want to take a quick break to tell you about one of our podcast sponsors, August Cloth. Now listen, I am just not a good shopper. When it comes to finding new clothes, I feel like I just endlessly search for clothes that fit well, that feel amazing, and that give me the effortless style that I really want to wear. And so essentially, I just feel like I need someone to do the shopping for me. Can you relate to that at all? (laughs) This is why I'm excited to tell you about one of our favorite online boutiques. August Cloth is owned by a fellow she who reads truth named Crystal. And we've been browsing their spring and summer collections. And let me tell you, I felt instant relief because Crystal and her team curate collections that allow us to shop easily and just love what we live in. They even offer video try-ons in multiple sizes for every new style so you can see what the clothes are really going to look like on you. I mean, how great is that? Even more than cute clothes, Crystal is a fellow adoptive mama. You know that means a lot to me. And she's passionate about caring for women and children in crisis. And so August Cloth partners with local foster care agencies or pregnancy centers every year to provide support to families in need. So when you shop at August Cloth, you get to be a part of that too. So essentially what I'm saying to you is you need to check this out. After the show, jump on to augustcloth.com and use our listener discount for 15% off. The code is SRT15. And you can also follow August Cloth on Instagram or Facebook at August Cloth in new collections shop every Thursday. That's augustcloth.com and use the discount code SRT15 for 15% off your purchase. All right, back to the show. 
so this is a little back and forth in these next couple of chapters because mm-hmm. we get this like there's going to be this plague and then let's talk about Passover and then let's talk about the plague and talk about Passover and then now we're going to actually live Passover like so there's a little back and forth coming up so hang with us as we kind of go through these next couple of sections and if you have your study books with you you'll see like on page 65 for example we have these little notes in the margin that are going like hey notice this because this is a little foreshadowing of Jesus. And so you've seen those. Um, you saw that on day two when God said, I am. And then we thought about, you know, like, don't forget in John, Jesus, I am statements. Mm-hmm. So that's like a little a little treat for y'all who have your study books with you. But what we're going to read here are the instructions for the Passover. And we'll read parts of it or whatever. But what I'm excited about is that we often talk about the Passover in the context of Holy Week, uh-huh. but that's them celebrating the festival that was instituted here. And this festival that was instituted here was replaced with the institution of the Lord's Supper of Communion. Mm-hmm. So as we kind of turn to chapter 12, this is where we start talking about the Passover. And now the Passover is something that we typically, in our New Testament years, we hear, you know, and we think about that's the setting for Holy Week. Right. This is what like Jesus and his disciples celebrated the Passover on Monday, Thursday. And, and then from that, he institutes the Lord's Supper. But this is actually the beginning, the roots, the reason for the Passover. And so we'll, we'll hear that a couple of ways. I'm going to read some of it right now. Starting in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the community. And then he goes on with some details. And then in verse 5, you must have an unblemished animal, a year old male, and you may take it from either your sheep or your goats. You're to keep it until the 14th day of the month. And he gives some more details. But then he says that all of Israel will slaughter these animals at twilight. And they're going to take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat that night and they should eat it roasted over the fire along with the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire. It goes on and it talks about it. It's very specific, but in verse 11, it says, here is how you must eat it. And I love this. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You're to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. And then in verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. The blood of the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to your Lord. You're to celebrate it through your generations as a permanent statute. And then there's so much bread. Bread week begins. Bread week it begins. <laughs> it is. But man, can we just pause? I mean, I'm in tears right now as you read that. Like I'm mm. I'm just I mean that that and the blood shall be a sign for you on your house where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you and the strike the land of Egypt. And I just, man, you want to talk about we think about God's redemptive plan. Post-creation, Adam and the original woman defy. And yet God is already putting in motion this reality of Jesus. And so here he's setting the stage, I believe, for the arrival of Christ, not just the freedom and the protection of the Israelites, which is so beautiful, but just even in the details for here, you know, that there would be a sacrifice, that it would be an animal, that it would be a male animal, that you would eat its flesh, just like Jesus says in the Gospel of John, you know, you will eat my flesh, you will drink my blood. Like you will imbibe this reality of the sacrifice, the symbol of forgiveness, and that Christ would come and fulfill this at the exact time that the Passover is taking place, you know, thousands of years later, to me, it's just it's just mind-boggling. And that it is by the blood, you know, that by his blood there is a sign over each of us that we are rescued, that we are saved, that we are marked, and that richness in the layer of not just what is happening now, but what we know yeah. is about to come. I mean, yes. that God set all that up for us. Like, yes. What? Yes. It's why I get so excited about Passover because it is just so rich with mm-hmm. prophecy and foreshadowing and yeah. immediate meaning and future meaning. I mean, my yeah. goodness. Yeah. And what meaning that gives to, in this day's reading in your study book, you all will read 
John 1, verse 29, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming toward him and says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Mm -hmm. This is such, you've already pointed it out several times, Margaret, of just how layered and rich Mm -hmm. the story of the Bible is. Mm. I mean, we talked about how the plagues are natural elements and, you know, wielded in a supernatural way by God. It's like, you know, you look at each story in Scripture feels like, wow, what a story. But then when you look at the context and how they all, how the tapestry is so interconnected on yeah. the underside, it's like only God yeah. so that we will see and know mm. that He's Lord. Even in this, you know, again, calling back to creation, the death of the firstborn reverses Genesis oh. 126 that we will make man in our image mm. and in our likeness. And so again, we're seeing the contrast of God who brings all life, Jesus who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? And yet the realities of that defiance and that sin and that hard-heartedness, that when we choose not the ways of God, it produces death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And that's the thing. Like, I mean, verse 23, it says it again, and we hear it a couple of different ways, but verse 23 says, when the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he'll pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your house to strike you. Like, what we know is that everyone, the baseline was death. Everyone deserved death Mm -hmm. and that the blood covered. (laughs) I mean, I'm just getting like a fist pump from Mm -hmm. Margaret. Like, And the blood covered the people of God, and they were saved. Not their blood, but the blood of the Lamb. It's beautiful. He didn't say, I want your blood. He didn't want it. Mm. It's beautiful. So the question becomes, like, what is covering us? Like, what are we trying to cover ourselves with? Again, back to Genesis. (laughs) Man, I got way too much in Genesis. I like like, it. What Uh, what do we try to cover ourselves with? I mean, it's fig leaves. It's it's our own efforts. It's our Mm -hmm. own straining. It's our achievement. It's our productivity. It's our placement. It's our title. It's our bank account. It's our cute house. It's our lovely Instagram. Whatever it is, and here, very much, God is cutting the corn and said, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. The blood covers you. And I think he's hinting at the fact that it is Christ alone. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. What do we think can cover us? What can save us? Yeah, One thing. And yet again, the Lord does exactly what he says he's going to do. Yeah. In the second half of Exodus chapter 12, we read about the Exodus. Yeah. I'm going to read a little bit of that for us, starting in verse 29. Now at midnight... The Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, which we remember back to chapter 4, verse 23, when the Lord tells Pharaoh, I'm about to kill your firstborn son. Mm -hmm. But that about to think about how much restraint the Lord exercises Mm -hmm. in patience and display his power. And this is that moment. Mm -hmm. The firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and every firstborn of the livestock. During the night, Pharaoh got up, he along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. Mm. It was just tragedy. Mm -hmm. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take even your flocks and your herds as you asked and leave, and also bless me. What? What a strange detail. (laughs) Yes. And a prayer upon my head. Yeah, yeah. Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country, for they said, We're all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their clothes on their shoulders. The Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items and for clothing. And the Lord gave the people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them what they requested. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. I mean, that's chapter 3, verse 22. Mm -hmm. Like God said, in this way, you will Mm -hmm. plunder the Egyptians. And it happened. And they did. Yeah. Man, that's crazy. I want to hear, I know we're about to get to like the moment, right? Mm -hmm. But I want to talk for a minute about this unleavened bread. Like in the instructions for the Passover, there's a lot of detail of like, do not leaven the bread, do not leaven the bread. And so here they are, they're bundling up their unleavened, their dough to take with them. And in, in verse 39, 
The people baked the dough they had brought out of Egypt. So they leave, right? Mm-hmm. And they're just like freshly out of Egypt. And it says, The people baked the dough they had brought out of Egypt into unleavened loaves, since it had no yeast. For when they were driven out of Egypt, they could not delay and had not prepared provisions for themselves. So to nerd out on bread for a moment, while Please back do. I was doing research and I studied under a guy by the name who happens to be the expert on ancient grains in planet Earth by the name of Andrew McGowan, who is a... Uh, professor at the Yale Divinity School and just went through these texts and many more looking at bread. And I think sometimes we think about yeast as something like Fleischmann's, right? Like we add to making Mm -hmm. some sort of bread, like during the bread craze of COVID, which we are like, yeah, we never ate bread before, but now we're all going to carve out to the moon. (laughs) But in antiquity, yeast that is like commercial that you can just add in wasn't invented until the 1800s, actually by the Fleischmann brothers. And that was separated out. But what happens is when you take basic flour and then you add water, it will naturally rise to some amount even without addition of like commercial yeast because there is like, there are microbes floating in the air. And so what the rabbis did many years ago is they determined that after about four minutes, no, it was actually 15 minutes, that the once flour is added to or water's added to flour, and those two things are mixed up, right? We think about sourdough bread, right? There's no mm-hmm. yeast added, but it still grows. It still expands. That after 15 minutes, it would be considered risen bread. And so in the symbol of unleavened bread, it's kind of like that note of these guys had to run so fast and so hard that there was not a chance. I think we think about it in in times like today where we see worn-torn nations, and the people are literally running for their lives. They can barely grab anything. They're actually tucking the flour and the bread into their clothes because in that time, clothes were so incredibly expensive. That was like all one of the primary things that you owned. And so you're combining a little bit of food and the clothes on your back, which is also your source of wealth or provision that's very difficult to purchase and you're running for your lives. And I think it speaks to just the intensity of that moment is really what's being alluded to here. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I I noticed, you know, what Amanda just read in verse 39, that final line, they had not prepared provisions for themselves, which is they're Mm -hmm. going out having not prepared provisions for themselves. The provision is going to be all God. Like, here we go. Like, we're going to have to do this. I want to go back for just a second because I did some math looking at like kind of verse 37 where it says the Israelites traveled from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 able-bodied men on foot besides their families. I'm going to be conservative here in my math. 600,000 men, let's say there's able-bodied men, we'll just say there's an equal number of women. And which I think that there would have been more because we know that because of the edict of death, there was a huge number of uh, Israelite men who were killed. There's a gap in men in a certain Mm -hmm. age group. But we'll just, for conservative numbers, another 600,000, let's assume one-to-one for like children. Like again, super conservative, but even with that, that's 2.4 million people. I Google searched, like, what is the population of Connecticut? 3.6 million. And then like the population of Nashville is 1.2 million. Mm -hmm. So like, you just think about like the mass of humans Mm -hmm. that are about to make this. This is not like a quick exit. This is a huge, this is like nearly Connecticut Mm -hmm. leaving Egypt. In a hurry. In a hurry. Mm -hmm. And so, like, as all of these things happen, like, as we're about to read, yes, they had to camp out overnight. And, like, how was that going to work? How could they be, like, safe to rest? Like, God's going to provide a way for them to rest overnight. Like, for them to get through the Red Sea, these are not things that take 15 minutes. These are things that are going to take a full day or more. Anyway, I just, in the same way that you kind of nerd out on food in the Bible, which I please, yes, and more. The numbers always get me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can I also add to that, though? But think about that, just to play out your numbers, which is insane. Think about two Nashvilles leaving, and nobody has anything. You can't turn to anybody else in the crowd. You are put in utter dependence that the God who is leading you out is going to provide for you. And so he's going to have to reveal himself. You have no provision. He must reveal himself as provider, or you Mm -hmm. die and really get mean. You become Lord of the Flies on each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have the clothes on your back and all of the pockets of the, gold, the, the pocket, the gold and silver, which buys you nothing. It is worthless. You cannot eat gold and silver. And so you have all of these valuables that are no longer valuable. You just need food. Mm-hmm. And here Ooh. we go. 
That'll mm-hmm. preach. Everybody's right hungry. Did you just hear that? What you said? You said you have the valuables that are no longer valuable. They're right. being pulled out of the very land and lifestyle that produced what they valued. Mm-hmm. They get it all, mm-hmm. and it's useless. I mean, wow, it's useless because you can't eat it. Yeah, yeah. And now, they need God. Yeah. Before we get to the Red Sea, there is an important portion of Exodus chapter thirteen where. Moses, on instruction from the Lord, is telling the people already, I mean, they're fresh out of escaped Egypt so far, (laughs) and they're told, remember, you're going to remember this deliverance, and here's how you're going to remember it. As it's happening. I love that. That's right. And so, and there's the instruction to about unleavened bread again, which mm-hmm. I guess, Margaret, is it because to commemorate what just happened, like this is a way that we're going to remember the reality of what just happened? Mm-hmm. It is. And there's a cool verse here. It says in verse 13, verse 6, it says, For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast in the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days, and nothing leavened shall be seen among you, nor shall any leaven be seen among you in your borders. Well, a few years ago, while researching for Taste and See, I actually went to mm-hmm. go study, uh, actually go fishing in the Galilee and study fish in the Bible. But while I was there, it happened to be Passover. And so what I didn't discover is when I was in Israel, I noticed during before the week of Passover, there was all of this intense cleaning. Like literally restaurants were being emptied out of all of their equipment. Like the big stoves, freezers poured out. People had like all kinds of junk for sale on the sidewalk. And finally, my friend Ido explains that before before the Passover, following this instruction, many of the Orthodox Jews hire people. It is like the ultimate deep spring cleaning in Israel. What? They hire people to come in, all the restaurants who want to stay kosher, etc., and make sure there's not one molecule of flour or grain in their midst. And wow. so Yeah. And so this is still being honored today. And you can see it in the streets of Israel because they're scrubbing, they're washing, they're making sure absolutely not one little grain or spore of it is anywhere in their houses or in their businesses. And so this is still lived out today. No kidding. Wow, wow, wow. Well, God's provision in this story is so thick and evident and present because here, you know, the second part of chapter 13 it talks about how God leads the people, which route they take. And it says in verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. Okay, so if you have your study book, page 78, there's a map of this. And like, I drew a straight line from Egypt to Canaan because there is a straight line from Egypt to Canaan. And you read something like this and like, Margaret, you're not even like, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. And I'm just going like, oh, like Jen said last week, she was like, when you read this, it's not, how do I be like Moses? You know, like a good reading of Exodus is like, how am I the people of Israel, right? <laughs> and going like, in what ways is God taking me away from something the long way? Mm-hmm. Because I need the time in the distance, because otherwise I'll return to that thing. Like there's just such a like sovereign hand and he's providing all along the way everything that they need. It is provided. That's right. They can't provide it for themselves, but it's going to take so much longer than necessary because their hearts are fickle. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it speaks to the like how much what the world offers is so addictive. Yeah. Like yeah. again, good. power, money, excess food, instant gratification, mm-hmm. binging, fill in the blank, whatever. And we think we want freedom and we start to even take steps in that direction of freedom. And yet there's something that wants to pull us back like a yeah. like a snapping rubber band. And I think that's mm. what God already knows and sees <laughs> in their hearts. And I think we have to be aware of maybe in our own hearts too. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's good. That note in verse 19 that says Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph wanted that. Like we mm-hmm. in the study book, you can actually see from Hebrews 11, verse 22, 
by faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. Like, I love that little mm-hmm. connection between the Old and New Testament to go, by faith, Joseph mentioned the exodus. Yeah. Like, he knew 400 years from now, God's going to save you, and I want to go. He probably didn't know 400 years from now. He knew that God was going to do what yes. he said he would do. But, I mean, because from Genesis 15, it yeah, says he they'll would've. be in slavery for 400 years. He would have. And he said that he will certainly come to your aid. And when you, when, not if, when you are taken out of the land, take me with you. Yes. Take my bones with you. It's so good. And then we get like, this is the moment where we meet the pillar of cloud, which will be so functional. But anyway, you'll read that. And today, Amanda's lovingly pointing at the uh, clock right now and going like, we're out of time. And it's, no, we've got about, I mean, we've got like a good 12 minutes. Okay, good. Good, good, good. But the pillar of cloud, there it is. We turn the page to day 11, Exodus chapter 14, and there's this little note here. I just appreciate it. It's just something I noticed actually when I was reading it today. In chapter 14, verse 4, God again says, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart. This is going to be some back and forth in this like actual exit. And he says, I'll harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. And then again, and that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And I, I think there's such a power there. I mean, we who, you know, I grew up learning the Westminster Catechism. And so like question one is, what is the chief end of man? And it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we know that the chief end of man, it's all mankind, right? Mm -hmm. And so like this, like to glorify God, like even Pharaoh's life is being used to glorify Mm -hmm. God. Like God's using this person who is opposed to him to bring him glory. Mm -hmm. And then the story goes, the Egyptian pursuit. Yeah. Because once again, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And so he takes it back. He's like, I take it back. Take it back. Why did we let them go? Why did we let this free labor go? He panics about the Mm -hmm. free labor. Mm -hmm. Like, I want my people back to build more things to honor me. Margaret, would you read some of that for us? Because here comes Pharaoh and the armies, and the Israelites look up and go, oh, no. Right. And then really. So in Exodus 14, 13, it says, But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Man, have we heard those Mm. words? Mm. (laughs) Boy, do we need those words. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The (laughs) Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Mic drop. If ever there was a challenge in our lives, it is not... (laughs) manhandling, pushing forward, trying to make it happen, hustling like the world tries us to, but to actually Mm -hmm. recognize that the Lord is fighting for us when we keep silent. And I think so often we have this choice in our lives in personal ways that are like, you know, do you want to defend yourself or do you want to trust God as your defender? Mm. And I think that we see that, right. you know, that command, that invitation playing out in this text. Mm. Verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. And we jump to verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into a dry land. So the waters were divided and the mm. sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And I love that because Mm -hmm. symbolically, again, back to creation, the water separated the water from darkness. But here is kind of almost a baptism, an Mm -hmm. entering Mm -hmm. in and entering through. And that God is so faithful and so powerful. Verse 23, then the Egyptians took up the pursuit and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. Tumble, tumble, all Mm -hmm. is gone. And we'll see that spelled out as the army goes into confusion. They run all over each other. It turns into absolute mayhem. And, you know, we just... Absolute mayhem. Yeah. 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 Oh, my goodness. Like in verse 25, he caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because the Lord's fighting for them (laughs) against Egypt. Mm. Yeah. Mayhem. Verse 30, that day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Mm. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and in his servant Moses. And then they sing a song. 
I love this song. I love mm-hmm. the song of Moses and Israel. But if we can mm-hmm. jump forward, because I'm all like, woo, woo, yes. women in the Bible. Yeah, let's go yeah. Chapter 15, verse 20. And then we yes. see, and I love this because we think of Moses as the leader, but you have to remember that yeah. from the very beginning, it was Miriam on the shores that helped That's save right. her baby brother. That's and right. here she is acknowledged and seen as a leader. Mm-hmm. And Miriam, the prophetess, yeah, you go girl, Aaron's mm-hmm. sister <laughs> took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. I mean, here she is leading the women. And Miriam yeah. answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. You go, girl. Amen. You go. Yes. yes. Amen. Just writing songs, worship songs. Beautiful. Now, we have you, ex- exactly 30 seconds to talk no. about manna and quail in Scripture. <laughs> yes, well, we could do it. Because here's no one is surprised that... This all happens. They get out into the wilderness, and what happens? We start, well, they're, they're thirsty, they're hungry, mm-hmm. and grumbling is the word yeah. CSB uses. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of grumbled, like, what are we going to do now? Yeah. What are we going to eat? You know, did you they're not hangry. think this through? Yeah, they, they are, are totally hangry. hangry. Yeah. 100% hangry. And there's a lot of, you know... It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. Like, that's yeah. the vibe of just like, why would you do this to us, Moses? Yeah. yeah. Because we don't want to... The feeling dependent on God is really, really, really hard. We'd rather depend on our masters or mm-hmm. ourselves. But like, depending on God, mm-hmm. we can't see that. Yeah. And we can't... We have no levers to pull. We just have to, as God said, be quiet. Yeah. And what happens? We've got mm-hmm. Moses who strikes a rock, water pours forth, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. God reveals himself as the divine pastry chef of heaven who delivers <laughs> sweet bread. It's yep. described as, as almost like a coriander with honey. I think it's either, I think it's Deuteronomy that describes it as if it was baked with olive oil, which is a healing oil. And mm-hmm. so here mm-hmm. is God, the pastry chef, delivering bread to his people six days a week giving them a break on the 7th, giving them two portions on the 6th so they can rest. And this provides such a sharp contrast to the salty, hard labor that they did in Egypt. It is free. It is given in abundance. It is total provision. And again, foreshadows when Christ will come and reveal himself as the living water and the bread of life. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's such a a powerful image. The, mm-hmm. When the you know the Lord literally says, "I'm going to rain mm-hmm. bread from heaven for you," mm-hmm. and you know, in their defense, <laughs> if they can, in our defense. So last week, Jen was talking about all oh, things are either harder than you expected they were going to be, or they take longer than you expected. I mean, this says that we get the detail. Mm-hmm. Um, this is after the water is provided. It says the fifteenth. This is the beginning of Exodus chapter sixteen. On the fifteenth day of the second month after they had left Egypt. So you know it's been a li- it's been a minute. It's mm-hmm. been what like six weeks or something. And so and they are very hangry. And I mean I I get it. Like the thing is is I I do this. I do this right. Like I look at my right now experience instead of what the greater truth that I know to be true of who God is and how He provides. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Deuteronomy, Margaret. Like on page 84 in the study book, day 12, we actually, in the going deeper section, we get to read from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And it says, He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Mm-hmm. Then He gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known, yeah. so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Yeah. And then Jesus is going to come. John's yes. going to describe him as in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then that Word is going to reveal himself as the bread of life in John chapter 6, mm-hmm. who all who come to him will be satisfied beyond all their wildest dreams. But just like for the Egyptians, we'll find in John, ironically, the number chapter 6, verse 66, the numerology mm-hmm. came after the ancient script scrolls, mm-hmm, but you can't mm-hmm. help giggle about it, that at can. that news, so many turned away. Mm-hmm. And so this dependence on God as the source of life, as the one who truly feeds us, the one who satisfies our longest and most needy desires, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, it is not just challenging for them, 
it is challenging for us. And I think recognizing yeah. that and saying, Christ, I need you just as you provided. We're the manna for the Israelites. You were the manna. You That's were right. the food. You were the multiplier with the boy and the small fish. So to be our manna each and every day. And may we feast on that in your rich word. Amen. Amen. Wow, that's such a beautiful way to close this week. Margaret, thank you for bringing it home. I I mean, yes. <laughs> we covered a lot of ground in May, an hour. Pun intended. As did the people <laughs> of Israel. <laughs> it was a lot. Margaret, you're such a great companion oh my goodness. for reading the book of Exodus. Thank you for joining us. I had so much fun with you. Can we do this again? I love yes, this. Yes, please. Oh, please come back. Please, please, please. I want I to know that. more about food in the Bible, which mm-hmm. you have a book on that. Yes. Well, tell us right? what the book is called. Taste and See. Mm-hmm. Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. And it has a really fun Bible study. And you start to notice these, just like we did today, like you skip by these mentions of food, not recognizing the depth and the meaning and the richness of what's being communicated. And I think it really starts to unlock so many passages in the Bible and so many of the teachings of Jesus, mm-hmm. as well as what is promised in the book of Revelation. So check it out. It's yes. Super- yes. Okay, we're linking that in our show notes. And for you that don't know where the show notes are, that would be sheriestruth.com slash podcast. So you can find that, find all those links. Margaret, you're the best. Next week for week three of our Exodus series, Joel Matamale is joining us. He is a new guest to the podcast. I have been wanting him to join us on the podcast for quite some time. We're really excited to get to chat week three with him. But until next week, Margaret, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles. <laughs>